Well, good afternoon, everyone. Um, let me uh, invite you to, to, to come together. Uh, great to see you all here. Well done for making it. It's pretty miserable weather conditions out there, so it's, it's fantastic to see you uh, coming along to hopefully be an encouragement to each other as we gather together this lunchtime. Um, I've said to the guys over there, they should feel free to kind of filter across because there's more seats uh, over here, so nobody's worried about, about that. Um, I wonder if you can grab your handout. And we're, um, we're continuing on our series uh, that we're calling Faithfulness on the Front Lines. Uh, we're looking at the life of Joseph, and particularly we're focusing on moments in Joseph, Joseph's life where he's kind of involved as a worker. So two weeks ago, we saw Joseph in a dead-end job. He's sold as a slave by his brothers uh, to Egypt, and he works there in Potiphar's household. And we see that, that God is with him even in his, uh, his dead-end job. And then last week, we saw Joseph, um, Joseph's faithfulness in promotion. God raised Joseph up, and um, we saw how God does sometimes promote people uh, in his time for his purposes to change the world. Those talks are on the website. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to listen to them, do really recommend them. It's been a fantastic series. It's been great to go into the Old Testament and see how practical and relevant uh, this teaching is uh, from the life of Joseph. And so today we come to the third of the, of the series. We're looking at Joseph's faithfulness in success. So now that Joseph's been promoted to this high office, how will uh, he prove to be faithful in success and what can we learn for that for our, for our jobs? So um, we've got a passage there on the handout. It's a little bit of a long one, so I'll read it through fairly swiftly and then uh, I'll pray and invite Stephen to come and speak to us from it. So let's, uh, let's have a look at Genesis chapter 41. Uh, so, Joseph, so Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and people shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zarephanath Paniah, and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son, he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. <laughs> the seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians. 
for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe everywhere. Well, shall we pray as we gather together? Uh, Father God, we, we want to thank you for your many blessings to us on this Wednesday lunchtime. We thank you for uh, the rain that comes down from heaven to water the earth. We thank you for the food that you provided for us. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you worked in the life of Joseph and the way that we trust that you're working in our lives today. And we pray as we come to listen to your word this lunchtime that you'd uh, illuminate us, that you'd shine light on our lives as we understand uh, what's going on uh, in the life of Joseph. We pray that you'll help uh, Stephen as he speaks and us as we listen. Uh, we pray that you would be working in us uh, by your Holy Spirit. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, good afternoon. Um, it's, it's great to be, uh, be with you uh, today. Um, great to see so many of you here. Um, I think you've, you've, you've arrived in light rain. I, apparently, you're going to be leaving in quite heavy rain. But... When you're uh, preaching on a passage that's to do with a famine, um, you can't really have people complain about the rain. So it's not probably not good. That's not a good start, is it? No, I'll start again. Um, <clears throat> so I was I was um, I was channel hopping the other day. Um, it's not often I get to sit, you know, with Netflix and streaming services and social media. It's not often that I'm sitting in front of the TV just doing that old-fashioned thing of just flicking through the channels to see what's on. But I found myself doing it the other week, and I was flicking through the channels, I was getting up to those sort of high channels, there's loads of channels on Freeview now, I didn't even know were there, loads of weird sort of movie channels where um, they show you like two minutes of the movie, and then there's a four minute like advert break, and that's ha- and movies that are an hour and a half long are four hours long in this channel, and I got caught watching one of them, it's one of my favourite films, um, it just happened to be flicking through, it's a film that you sort of see on TV often, I don't know whether you've ever seen it before, um, it's called A Knight's Tale. Um, I don't know whether you've come across it. It's, it's one of my favorite films. It's just a great, it's just great little action comedy. And it's all about this guy, William. And he's the servant of a knight. And when the knight dies, William, who has always dreamed of being something more, he decides to take his place. He finds that he has a knack for jousting, which is, of course, what all knights do in their spare time. Um, and so he moves up through the ranks. He makes himself money. He wins the heart of the girl that he loves. You know, all those things that happen in every movie. But he also makes an enemy. And this enemy, he eventually finds out the truth that William isn't who he's been claiming to be. And when he comes to, to gloat at William in prison, which he gets him put into, he says this. He says, you've been weighed, you've been measured, and you've been found wanting. Now, those of you who, who know your Bibles very well will know that that is actually a quote from the Bible. It's based on Daniel chapter 5, verse 27, uh, and that story of the writing on the wall that you've maybe heard of, um, the writing on the wall that appears to mark the end of, of King Belshazzar's reign. And one of the words that appears on the wall is tekel, which means you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. And you know, as we come to think about this, this account of Joseph's time in power, we're about to see who Joseph really is. He's about to be weighed. He's about to be measured like never before. And we're going to see if he is found wanting. This is one of those stories in the Bible. I said this last week, if, if you were here when I was sort of finishing off. 
Um, This is one of the stories in the Bible that I think is often misinterpreted or misunderstood. I've heard lots of people, I've heard preachers, Sunday school teachers, all sorts of people talk about this part of the narrative and, and say something along the lines of, do you know what this story is all about? Do you know what this, this, this part of the story tells us? It tells us that even if you go through bad times and suffering, do you know what? It's okay. Because just like Joseph, if you hang in there, if you keep going, eventually you'll succeed. You'll get what was promised. You'll do well. It'll all come good. When I read this story, that's not what I think is happening here. This is not the highlight of the Joseph story. This is not the the mountaintop moment. This is the most dangerous moment that Joseph has ever faced. And when you read the full story of Joseph, we see him face some really dangerous moments. Here we see Joseph tempted like he's never been before. We see Joseph faithful, like he's never been before. And we see actually that this story of Joseph, the the savior of his world, doesn't give us an example of what our life as, as followers of Christ might be like. No, Joseph the savior points us instead to our need for a savior like never before. And we're gonna think about what all this means for us sitting here this lunchtime. So first off, we, we see Joseph tempted like never before. When you read the story of, of Joseph, you see he goes through a lot. You see him suffer the, the betrayal and hatred of his brothers, sold into slavery in a foreign land, far from the, the people of his God, the land that his God has promised them, and yet he remains faithful. With God's help, he he does reasonably well for himself. He becomes a a favored slave in charge of of the whole of Potiphar's household. And then we have that sexual temptation from a powerful superior. And when he, he runs away from that and does well, he gets falsely accused of sexual assault and gets imprisoned for, for a long, long period of time. And again, we see Joseph remains faithful. Even when he thinks it's all going to change, he sees God at work in the the dreams of the the cupbearer and the baker. He sees the cupbearer elevated back up to Pharaoh's side and with this promise to, to mention Joseph. And then two more years, two more years stuck in prison and still, it seems, Joseph remains faithful. In Genesis, we see Joseph cope with some of the most adverse and awful situations imaginable and yet remain faithful. Last week, we saw that that rise to power and prominence as as Joseph comes to stand before Pharaoh and declare that his God and not Pharaoh was the one who was able and in control. Joseph is still faithful. Joseph, this this prisoner that morning, now suddenly finds himself the second most important person in all of Egypt. He's actually now in charge of running the entire country. He is given untold wealth, power, and authority. He will never want for anything ever again. He will never need anything ever again. Everywhere that he goes, people are going to bow down before him, almost worship him. He is given an Egyptian name. 
He's given a well-connected Egyptian wife, the daughter of a priest of a foreign god. He's thrust into this totally secular, totally different lifestyle. Where, let's face it, does he really need God anymore? Yeah, you know, he, he relied on God when it was all going pear-shaped. When he was in the pit. When he was in the prison. When he was a slave. But now he's got it made. Life is good. Life is great. Surely he's just going to sink himself into the good life. And forget all about his past. His people. And even his God. You only have to look at the, the string of what we might class as celebrity pastors or, or ministers who have been caught up recently in, in sexual misconduct, bullying, uh, faking book sales, receiving extortionate salaries, private planes, or huge mansions. How's your private plane going? Is that no? Bloomfield not provided that for you yet? <laughs> You only have to look at those things, those news stories that we probably have all seen to see that when Christian leaders, when they even are put into positions of high power, high influence, they're given lots of wealth with perhaps limited oversight, they can so easily forget God and fall into this same temptation. Well, you sitting here today, I don't know what jobs you do, but you're probably not the second in command of a whole country or the leader of a multi-million pound ministry. But I think that we are just as likely to face this same temptation. We live in the, the fifth, apparently the fifth richest country in the world. I'm not going to mention Brexit here and say that that may not last for too much longer. But anyway, by the world's standards, we are some of the richest people on the planet. Even those of us who are struggling each and every day, we have access to welfare, health care, and education. We all hopefully have a roof over our heads and food in our bellies. Compared to many other parts of the world, we have a reasonably comfortable standard of living. And that's just the baseline. I know lots of you live in, in decent homes, have good cars, good jobs, you go on nice holidays. Many of us lead pretty affluent lifestyles where day by day we, we tend to just get on with it, don't we? We live a pretty good life. wonder do we really have any need for God? That's the temptation that Joseph faced in Egypt. It's the temptation that we face every single day in the Western world. Do we really need to rely on God? for our day-to-day -day existence? Do we actually live for him in all circumstances, in all areas of our lives? Do we pray without ceasing, as the Bible tells us to? Or do we just get on with solving our own problems? Are we immersed in his life-giving word? Or is the Bible a book we, we claim is incredibly important, but never really give any real time to? Do we serve in church? But our lives out there look almost no different to the lives of the people around us. Often we, and, and I very much count myself here, we claim to be disciples of Christ, followers of God, and yet we hardly ever really 
talk to him. We rarely take the time to hear from him, from his life-giving and life-sustaining word. And then we wonder why our faith feels so superficial sometimes and why we so easily fail and fall. I wonder, are you tempted to forget God? I wonder, is your faith more than skin deep? Something you've just gotten used to, but it doesn't really mean anything to you. It's just a comfort blanket, an insurance policy, a get-out-of-hell-free card. Or is it your whole life? Is your identity disciple of Christ? Follower of the one true God. When power or wealth, wealth or influence or ease come our way, do we stay faithful to God or are we quick to forget him? We need to stay close to God. Faithful to him. Because that's where the real life is. Joseph knew that. He was tempted here like never before, but he stayed faithful like never before as well. Can you imagine what a, what a day in the life of Joseph must have looked like? The wealth, the power, the influence, the busyness of this immense task that he's been given. <clears throat> Immersed in this life, Egyptian life, Egyptian culture, Egyptian politics. A fairly ruthless time in Egyptian history, lots of, of political assassinations and power grabs, and Joseph is now right in the middle of that. Joseph, this foreigner, former slave, former prisoner, he's just been elevated to a position that some people have been vying for and looking to and working for their entire lives. <clears throat> I don't know, maybe that sounds a little bit like the politics of your office. I don't know. Hopefully not. And you know what? All he has to navigate his way through this, or sorry, he has to navigate his way through this with, with almost no knowledge of the finished work of Christ, no Bible, a new community of God's people around him, supporting him. All he has, all he has to cling to is that relationship with the God of his fathers, this God who has promised him great things in those dreams, and who has since proven to Joseph that when he says something, he does it. The cupbearer lived, the baker died, just as God had said. And now Joseph is living in faith that Pharaoh's dream is going to come true. And perhaps even those dreams he had as a 17-year-old back in Israel. So how do we know? How do we know that Joseph remains faithful? And doesn't fall to the temptations we see at the start of this passage. There are two sections of this passage, I think, that show us Joseph's faithfulness. Firstly, there's the fact that Joseph does what God tells him, even when it becomes ridiculous. Look at verse 49. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the seas. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. There comes a point when God's provision has been so great 
in the land of Egypt that it becomes crazy to even try and keep count of it. But Joseph keeps collecting because that's what God told him to do. It probably seemed mad to the other officials. No matter how bad this famine got, how could Egypt possibly need this much grain? But Joseph trusted God. And as we'll see in a minute or two, God plans to use Joseph not just to save Egypt, but to save the world. And then secondly, about halfway through this story, we come to a break in the narrative where we hear about Joseph's children. This man, given an Egyptian name, an Egyptian wife, and living a blessed life in Egypt, he still gives his children Hebrew names. And not only that, but names that honor all of God's faithfulness to him. Manasseh, God, the Hebrew God, has helped him to forget his troubles. And Ephraim, God, the one true God, has helped him to become fruitful in the land of his suffering. Even in the face of all of this temptation, Joseph remains faithful. So how are we doing? How do we stay faithful to God through the temptations of of prosperity, ease, power, busyness? How do we cling to God when everything's going well? I think Joseph can help us here. See, Joseph recognizes that all the good in his life is not by his own hand, but by the provision of God. Joseph, in his his trials and temptations, he sees God's hand at work in everything. That little touch of pride that we maybe see in Joseph right at the start of the story, it's gone. And now we see him humbly reliant on God. Manasseh, it's God who has brought him through this. Ephraim, it's God who has made him fruitful and successful. Wonder are we proud of our accomplishments? Our jobs, our wealth, our homes? Do we see them as the, the result or the due reward for, for all our hard work? Or do we see them as the result? Like Joseph, do we see them uh, or do we recognize that we're, wherever we are in life, whether rich or poor, whether a slave or prime minister, I don't know anybody who would want to be prime minister right now, but anyway... High or low, do we recognize that we're only there because God has placed us there? God has placed us there to glorify him, to serve him, and to bring about his purposes, not our own. I wonder how that reality might change how you live this week, how you you relate to the things you have in life. I've used one movie example already this week, and I'm going to use another one. You may have heard of the the stand-up comic and actor Chris Tucker. Some of you will never have heard of Chris Tucker. He he was huge back in the early 2000s. He was in the films like The Fifth Element, the Rush Hour movies with Jackie Chan. And in the early 2000s, he was the highest paid actor in all of Hollywood. But then he became a Christian. 
And he had to decide and struggle with the type of comedy he did. His shows back then would have been quite uh, vulgar, raunchy. Um, and he struggled then with some of the film roles that he was getting. And he had to make a choice. The choice to forget God and, and pursue the good life. It's the highest paid actor in Hollywood at that point. Or to take seriously the call of God in his life, even if that meant sacrifice. Um, Chris is still an incredibly popular stand-up comic. His routine is very funny, if you've watched any of it, but it doesn't always go for those cheap laughs. Hollywood doesn't really hire him very much anymore, although there's talk of Rush Hour 4, but he does okay. Chris, like Joseph, he recognized that everything he had was from God, and everything that he was should be used to honor him. And we should do the same. I wonder what that might look like for you in your workplace, in your home, in your life. The other thing that Joseph recognizes that I think we need to look at is his need for salvation. You see, Joseph knows there's a judgment coming. The seven years of famine. He knows the only way to be saved is to put his trust and faith in God's salvation plan. The dream that he's interpreted. He knows that even though he is, he's made it now, life is good, a future judgment is coming. Which he needs to be ready for. He knows the only way to survive and to thrive is to trust the God who has offered this way of salvation. See, Joseph, he's been tempted like never before. He's faithful like never before. And he's pointing to a savior like never before. Verse 57, the last verse there, it says, And all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the world. Do you ever think about this? The fact that Joseph saves the world. You may think I'm making the case here that we should all bow down and worship Joseph today. I'm not. We know that Joseph wasn't perfect. We know that this is a, this is a temporary salvation. But this whole story of Joseph, it points us to the greater savior to come. You see, Joseph is a picture pointing us to Christ, given to us over 1,500 years before Jesus was born. Just as God uh, gave Joseph those dreams to point him forward to a hope yet to come through the, the good times and the bad, God uses Joseph to, to point forward and give his people a picture of the greater Savior to come, the promised Messiah, the one who could save his people not temporarily but once and for all. And this short passage, it points, to, it points us to Jesus right throughout. Joseph was tempted. Jesus is tempted. Jesus was tempted at the beginning of his ministry in exactly the same way that Joseph was tempted. With self-reliance, with fame, and with power. And yet he stands firm and stays faithful. His trust in God, his deep knowledge of God's word 
and his strong relationship with the Father, it helps him to put down the attacks of the devil in the wilderness and remain faithful. (coughs) And it's clear that strong relationship with God that helps both Joseph and Jesus to stay the course, to remain faithful. It's clear to see. And it's that same relationship that we need to have and grow in in order to stay faithful in every circumstance. That relationship with God that we can now have access to because Jesus was obedient to death, even death on a cross, as Paul tells us in Philippians. Jesus' sacrificial death to, to take away our sin covers us in his perfection and defeats death itself. It is the ultimate way that Jesus saved the world. It's the ultimate fulfillment of what this true story of Joseph is pointing us to. As we said at the start, Joseph was weighed. He was measured. And he was not found wanting. And ultimately, he as this this temporary saviour points us to Christ. Who we've seen was, was also weighed, was also measured, and again was not found wanting. And it's only through faith in him that we who are so often found wanting can stand before God covered in the righteousness of Christ and free from the consequence of our sin because of that finished work on the cross. Yes, this passage is a a call for us to remain faithful to God in the good times as well as the bad. To not forget our great God when when everything is going well. But it also points us back to our need for a saviour. Someone to come and rescue us from our spiritual famine. From the death that comes from the, the sin that we've brought upon ourselves. Saviour who not only rescues us, but also feeds us, sustains us and helps us to find real and lasting life and meaning. Instead of the shallow life that comes from what this world has to offer us, even the best things that this world has to offer us. Do we really need God today? Do you need him in your life? I really think you do. So let's go to him. Let's stay close to him. Because the story of Joseph tells us time and again that if you are a disciple of Christ, then the Lord is with you. So recognize that today. And let that shape how you deal with both the difficult things in life, but also the good things in life. Recognizing that all of those things are given to you, not by your own goodness, not by your own hard work, but by God's provision. Let's stay faithful to him today and as we go forward. Let me, let me pray. Lord, I, I just want to come before you um, today, Lord, and we thank you for your faithfulness to us. Lord, we thank you that um, throughout all of history, Lord, as we have been so unfaithful to you, 
over the whole course of history, Lord, you have always remained faithful to us. Lord, we thank you that your promises are true. Lord, we thank you that, that you are the one that we can rely on. You are the one that we can trust. And you are the one that we need to save us, but Lord, also to give us real life. So Lord, we pray that as we go from this place, Lord, you'll, you'll take this, this message that we see from Joseph, this message of faithfulness, this message of staying close to you, of remembering you always, Lord, in the bad times, but also in the good, also when everything is going well, to remember, Lord, that, that everything that we have, all that we are, is from you and is given by you. And Lord, that in everything we do, in everywhere we go, in every conversation we have, in every meeting we attend, Lord, we pray that you would help us to glorify you and to serve you and to live for you. Lord, be with us now as we, as we go back to our offices and, and work. Um, Lord, help us to, to stay close to you uh, and Lord, to, to, live out, um, to live out this relationship we have with you, Lord, so that others may see it and may come to know you too. Amen.